Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. Thank you for joining today's episode. We're on a mission to share e-commerce logistics insights, trends, successes, and challenges from the leaders and innovators in our space. What are you seeing out there? I, I want some market intelligence now, right? What are you seeing with you know, this industry and a lot of 3PLs, 4PLs? Are you seeing a shift where there's investments being made back into trying to compete? Welcome to this episode of Ecom Logistics Podcast. Nanad, super excited today to have our good friend and pioneer in the micro fulfillment, urban distribution, call it forward stocking space, Steve Chemchuk. And Nanad, there's so much to unpack here. It's hard to know where to get started. Oh, uh, we got the we got the OG man. We got uh, uh, before anyone knew what micro fulfillment was, or you know, people talked about next day delivery while Steve was talking about same day delivery and talking about one hour delivery. So I'm super excited to have this conversation. Steve, welcome to the pod. Thank you for being with us. Good morning, Good gentlemen. Morning. Good morning. So so excited to be here. So happy to talk with you, gentlemen. Uh, and thank you for uh, thanks for having thank me. Thank you. Absolutely, Steve. I think as a way of getting started, you know, it's always interesting to learn how, like, I mean, listen, buddy, you are, you literally were doing micro fulfillment before anyone even knew the definition of micro fulfillment. So would love to hear the story, how you got there, what was your journey in supply chain? And, you know, how did you even come up with the idea or the concept to go into a, you know, blue ocean where no one else was, was even really thinking about? Yeah, it's, honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's my favorite story. So I'm always happy to share kind of the evolution of, you know, warehouse anywhere and life storage as a whole. So uh, it might be only exciting and interesting to myself, but I'm always happy to share it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it really uh, we look forward to hearing <laughs> it. It really started in my uh, my previous life working in operations back at Life Storage, which uh, which is now our current uh, parent company. You know, back in uh, 2012, 2013, while visiting various properties throughout the U.S., you know, traditionally Life Storage, they always had a commitment to servicing commercial tenants, right? It's a... It's Can a, you it's just, a, for, everyone's, for everyone's sake, what who is Life Storage? Because people might not know who Life Storage yeah, is. Yeah, great point. Uh, so Life Storage is a public traded REIT, real estate investment trust company, specifically in the self-storage uh, industry sector. They are the third slash fourth largest owner operator of self-storage spaces uh, in the US. And the reason I say third or fourth, because it, it, they kind of flip-flop back and forth between um, uh, CubeSmart, Extra Space, and Life Storage, all due to acquisitions. A lot of M&A in that world, right? So right now, uh, Life Storage does anywhere between $800 million to just over a billion dollars worth of acquisitions annually. So uh, that's why that number changes so rapidly throughout the year. Plus, there's a segment of their business that is uh, what they call third-party management. So that's where, you know, us being a, you know, one of the top five largest self-storage operators in the U.S., a lot of small and mid-sized developers, you know, would outsource the operation and the infrastructure to Life Storage, right? So they would actually build the properties, but then they would hire somebody like Life Storage to come in and actually manage the day-to-day, right? That's everything from um, infrastructure, system, staffing, marketing, call center support. So that's what that third-party management is.
And so that also adds to the portfolio of available properties that we utilize at Warehouse Anywhere. Awesome. Thanks for that. No, you are welcome. So back to your story. Back to my story. So uh, <laughs> in my previous life at Life Storage back in 2012, 2013, you know, I kind of moved up through the organization. I was, I was in operations and I was visiting various properties throughout the U.S. And like I said, Life Storage always had a good commitment to servicing commercial customers. But back then, the commercial customer was more like your local, local and regional uh, organization, right? Landscapers, office, doctor's offices, law offices around, you know, immediately around those self-storage properties that needed excess file storage, so on and so forth. But as I started to notice, I started to see a lot more large, you know, mid cap to large cap uh, enterprise organizations storing at our at our locations, pharmaceutical, med device, life sciences, a lot of national, what we call field service organizations that were storing their technicians, trucks and parts at our locations. So when I had the opportunity, I just started to have some conversations. As you guys know, I like to do I, I'm a little social butterfly. So I uh, had some uh, had some <laughs> conversations with a couple of technicians as I saw them on the properties. And uh, I asked, you know, how they're leveraging self-storage, why are they using self-storage? And really, it came down to their customers were really expecting faster response times and faster what they call uptimes for their repairs. So they needed to kind of forward deploy parts. And obviously, their trunk stock, you know, they can only hold maybe top 2%, 3% of those high-moving replacement parts. So they really needed kind of like a, a small storage space to house these parts somewhere relatively within their work order market. So I found that very interesting. So I kind of brought that idea back to the home office and I started to think through it, uh, kicked the tires around a little bit, built the business case. Uh, and what we launched first and foremost was what we called our Core Plus solution, which at the time was really just a national account for, uh, for mid-cap to large enterprise organizations to uh, have kind of a national account for self-storage, right? All their self-storage assets uh, throughout the U.S. So what we did there was we wanted to really be a one-stop shop for these organizations. We didn't want them to just come to us for just life storage. Because at the time, back in 2012, 2013, we had probably around 400 locations in more of your mid to large uh, markets. So we didn't have enough of a footprint to really offer a one-stop shop for all these organizations. So we started what we called our preferred partner network, and we signed up other mid-sized to large independent owner operators, and we pulled them into our, our network, right? So uh, we were able to kind of source one-stop shop any place they needed in the U.S. Uh, we started off with probably around 1,000 partners the first year, and as we scaled it for the next uh, four to five years, we actually had up to just over 12,000 locations that were available to us to source our, our, uh, our customers. And that's, that's not, so once we had a good- And that's not 12,000 storage units. Those are 12,000 buildings throughout the United States a, with multiple units that's within That's absolutely correct. That you could utilize as, as forward deployed locations. That's absolutely right? correct. On a typical self-storage property, that's that's 12,000 plus actual storage facilities. And within that storage facility, there's anywhere from a small property, 400 to 500 individual spaces, up to uh, up to maybe 2,000 individual storage spaces. Uh, and, those, and those sizes vary, right? Not to get too granular into the self-storage business, but that's what also makes our solution, as we'll get into in a second, attractive, 
is it could be a five by five, 25 square foot space, or you can scale it up, take down some walls. You can give a customer 600, 800 or a thousand square feet of space. So they're very flexible. Uh, when it comes to self-storage. So once we had kind of a good network built, we wanted to also bring some technology into the game, right? So we built a nice platform that kind of provided a consolidation of leasing, invoicing. Uh, we provided a uh, single point of contact or an account manager to our customers. And that platform really kind of gave you a central a central database for every for all your self-storage na- assets nationally. Because prior to us, it was very fragmented, right? They left it up to the reps, the individual techs. They were putting company uh, corp- corporate cards down. You didn't know if they were storing in a 10 by 15, a 10 by 20, if they were overpaying for square footage, underpaying. So this really gave a lot more control and visibility for these large enterprise customers to control costs. And on the pharmaceutical and life sciences side, it also made sure that the reps were storing in a compliant self-storage facility, climate control, proper security protocol. So it really just gave a lot more control to the organizations. And then the kind of the evolution of Warehouse Anywhere took place from there. We really just kind of followed our customers, right? At the end of the day, if you do a good job of working with your customers, you really have you really have a vision to make sure that you're going to not just be a vendor to your customers, but really help them build their build their business, right? Give them a differentiator in the marketplace. So they love the fact that we were able to, to consolidate all of their storage assets nationally. We gave them kind of a forward deployed network, a node in node model. But now it was more, they wanted more than just the location. You know, with the location was great, but they were still depending on their field reps, either a sales rep or a field technician to become a warehouseman. And we all know that that's not their expertise. So there was a lot of shrink. Um, there was still a lot of delay in uh, replenishment orders because it was on them. Uh, so they really kind of pointed out to us in a lot of our QBRs, can you help us with our inventory, right? You have the locations. Can you also help us manage the inventory? So we kind of evolved our business. We invested in some R&D uh, to kind of build out our proprietary hardware and software platform that now we can offer we can also offer, besides the location, the ability to, to manage their inventory using RFID, give them live inventory tracking, real-time visibility into their inventory of that specific space, and really kind of give them really good replenishment data so they were able to reduce their logistics costs and replenishment costs, but at the same time, accelerate their speed to customer, which is, at the end of the day, guys, that's what Warehouse Anywhere does, right? That's our biggest value add to the marketplace is really accelerate your speed to customer while reducing your your your, your trans cost. Um, so that that's what we that's what we actually designed and developed our enterprise program and our and our solution. And at, at the same time, like I said, we followed our customers' leads. So as now we could track their give them a location, track their inventory, give them real time visibility into into their inventory. Now they asked us to actually deliver it for them. So we came up with kind of the last mile delivery offering. And um, from there, we kind of took our network optimization uh, and we kind of brought that over to the courier industry as that was also a very fragmented industry, right? Self-storage is very fragmented with all the individual mom and pop plus the large players. Same thing we saw on the courier side, right? There was no just really good one or two national players. It was very fragmented with a lot of mid-sized to small courier organizations so we built a nice platform, nice bolt-on platform to our warehouse anywhere inventory system. And uh, then we were able to start um, delivering product to our customers within one hour, 60 minutes from our location to end destination. 
And that's everything from banks to hospitals, to surgical centers, to doctor's offices. So it really gave us a, a real, a real, a real differentiated solution in the market. That is, that is an amazing journey, right? So you go from taking this analog space, turn it into just a consolidation of invoices in this vast network, right? So use your network plus another locations. I mean, you know, the first time I been in the space heard about the term dark store wasn't about 2018, 2019 timeframe. And you were doing dark store way before that at this point, right? So again, that's not what it was called, but you establish that, you give these locations, next step, you follow the customer to try and define inventory tracking for them. And that in itself is a pretty large move up, right? So the big challenge that you face is, you know, of course, in a large 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 square feet warehouse, it's a manned warehouse. But when you're going into a situation where you got 100, 200 square feet, you can't have a person just sitting there. But how do you keep track of your inventory? You solve that problem by getting an RFID solution in there. And it's real-time reporting information back saying, at this location, you got X units available in real time. And you can now go and get it with all with all the necessary security. And then layer that on top with like a last mile courier network. There is tons of last mile courier aggregation happening today. But you started building out your network a while ago. Maybe in numbers, how large is your courier network today, right? So you got access to this 11, 12,000 different locations. How wide is the network that you have of couriers? So if a client wants to kind of come in and be able to use that, what does that look like today? Yeah, right now we're at about 25 total courier vendors, but that gives us access to about just over 30,000 individual drivers. And there is an element uh, with a couple of our uh, current vendors that came into the marketplace about five years ago. They use somewhat of a gig economy as well. So that gives us even access to more drivers as well through their platforms. Uh, so we were able to integrate with their platforms, process the, our customers are able to process their orders through our platform and with easy integration uh, to their platforms, it just opens up the world to all available assets. That's that's amazing. And I, again, you know, you take all of those, you know, I, I don't want to call them raw materials, but essentially everything that you have, of course, it's designed to address a client that has critical inventory needs like healthcare, medical, et cetera, or parts, right? But now trying to address this massive boom during pandemic of e-commerce, right? And pivoting into that. So, uh, you know, my understanding is you ventured into that journey as well, maybe a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, obviously huge market segment and growing, right? Vastly year over year, you guys are such industry experts. You probably, you could probably enlighten us with the specific data and growth percentages over the last couple of years and the future projections, but within Warehouse Anywhere, you know, staying within our discipline of leveraging our, our storage network and technology, we want to diversify our customer base. So we developed an offering to support e-commerce with what we call our MFC program, Lightspeed. And this really allows, you know, uh, small, medium merchants, the ability to properly place their inventory in key, strate- in, uh, key strategic dense markets throughout the U.S., reduce their shipping costs and increase their customer experience by getting that same day or next day delivery service. So right now we have kind of a node in node network. We have one large intake, uh, 
uh, fulfillment center in Columbus, Ohio, about 80,000 square feet. So our kind of goal and our strategy is to bring everything in through Columbus. And then we also have five, uh, what we call micro fulfillment centers in Atlanta, Las Vegas, Chicago, and we just recently launched a location in LA, uh, which range anywhere from about 5,000 to 9,000 square feet of space at each one of those locations. And it acts as a great no-to-no network. We bring the inventory into our Columbus location, and then we aggregate it out to our MFC to make it MFC work properly, right, or function properly on behalf of your customers. You want to make sure that you're only forward deploying their top three, four, five percent of their SKUs, right? The high movers in that market. So it comes with a lot of data, a lot of, a lot of analytics to make sure that you're properly placing those SKUs. But they have to be high movers. We place them in the RMS and the MFCs, and we're able to offer them either same day or next day delivery network. And those are manned, right? There's a little bit of little bit of operational change there, right? We went from kind of the unmanned dark store, hardware, software driven locations, small footprints, 100, 200 square feet of space to more of that traditional manned fulfillment center in our MFC model. Steve, I think that's a great point. And what we what you hear all the time is in the micro fulfillment urban distribution space, the unit economics don't make sense, right? It's really expensive. It's expensive real estate. It's ex- It can be expensive transportation. But what I'm hearing you say, which I think is probably really important for people to kind of latch on to, there are markets, segments of the market. For example, right, if I need my knee replacement and if I'm having knee replacement surgery and I need that sent to the hospital within 60 minutes, it's not about unit economics. It's about speed, right? It's the urgency to get something from point A to point B. But what you just said on the, you know, when you think about brands and e-commerce, I think that's super important. I'd like to go back to how to make sure that you have the right inventory in the right market. You know, I think a lot of people think, you know, they're just going to put 100% of their SKUs in the NFL cities across the US and it's it's going to, you know, they're going to be able to do one day delivery. That's where I think things start to fall apart. So I think going back to how do you help brands, merchants think through where to put the inventory and what inventory to put in what mm-hmm. locations? Yeah, great question. It comes down to historical data, right? And order data. As we all know, and we're in this business and, and our and our merchants know that your top three, four, five percent of SKUs aren't consistent through every market, right? Every market's going to have a, a different driver when it comes to what they're ordering. What's ordering popular in New York City, Chicago is probably not going to be the same thing that's being ordered in Las Vegas and or LA, right? So it's all about building the right platform with the right inventory optimization algorithms to make sure that you're properly forecasting and you are placing that inventory at the right location at the right center. So that's kind of the formula that we use is to make sure that we're just providing the right technology base and the right inventory optimization capabilities to provide our customers the right data points to make those decisions. I see on the e-commerce side, the the challenge being kind of end-to-end as well, right? It's, of course, from a logistics standpoint, trying to make a determination where the inventory needs to be at any given time, right? Like if I get a hundred of item A and I have five locations that I can send to, first of all, what percent needs to go where? And, you know, you can leverage some historical, look at some trending, some of the promos that you're going to run, et cetera, from a sales standpoint, but also time in transit, lead, et cetera, lead time, et cetera, that needs to be taken into consideration to replenish these locations. You know, the benefit is not just the cost of shipping, 
right? Like you are getting closer. Forget about the next day. Even in a two-day network, the cost is going down because you are getting closer to the customer and you are doing zone skips, right? Essentially, you are doing a zone skip by getting closer. But to be able to plan that, and then on top of that, also the savings is implied from consumer expectation standpoint that if I need it in two days, now you can almost with certainty say that, yes, I'm going to get it in two days. So there is the inventory positioning problem, but then there is the problem that is above that, which is how are you marketing to the end customer? How is that merchant's customer seeing it, right? So this link between where inventory resides in real time, where is it going to allocate from? And if I am a customer in Atlanta and placing an order and I'm only eight miles away from your location, there could be a service very cheaply that could get me that product within the next four hours. But the customer needs to know that to ensure that you get the cart conversion, right? So the problems kind of end to end. And also, if I happen to be in Savannah, Georgia, I'm going to get it next day, but I need to know it will be next day versus if Atlanta is shipping to Chicago because there's a stockout condition in Chicago. It's going to take two days. And the customer needs to know that at the time of checkout. So the problem needs to be solved end to end. And, you know, very few companies are kind of doing it end to end as I see it today. A lot of them are attempting it. There is a lot of technology out there. Steve, how do you see kind of this market evolving, right? Like there was this promise of the entire world's going to do two days, right? Because Amazon set the expectation. The reality didn't shape out that way. The reality is there is still consumers are okay mm-hmm. with five days as long as, you know, you are the only website where I can buy the product that I'm looking to buy. If it's available on Amazon, that's where I'm going to go. I'll be very honest, right? But the conversation was everything's going to go to next day and everything's going to go to same day. And we have haven't seen that happen. Amazon's probably the only thing that I see doing next day at this point. Like with the investments you are making, how do you see consumer expectation as well as merchants' wallet? Right? Like, what's what's the impact on that? And what's your opinion on that space? Yeah, consumer expectations. Let's talk about that for a second. I'm going to use myself as example. My expectation is if I order it, it better be here next day, or I'm very aggravated. It's just the way of the world right now, right? If you really like a brand and you're loyal to a brand, you know you might. Stay stay with the five-day, eight-day delivery, right? If you really are loyal to a brand, but these days people are impatient. That's just the customer expectation. And I think you said it right, Anad. I mean, at the end of the day, the Amazon effect, thats it's just the Amazon effect, right? They're setting expectations that the rest of us have to live with, right? And if you're going to be competitive, and not just sell through Amazon marketplace, but be competitive through multiple marketplaces and direct to consumer, you have to have that same level of service or close to it to be able to be successful, right? So I think it's the Amazon effect. Obviously, they have the infrastructure, they have the investment to accelerate their their infrastructure to execute on that on that vision of next day or same day. Now, what do the rest do, right? I'm going to kick this back to you since this is an open podcast, and you two, yeah. the both of you, are so heavily linked into this space. What are you seeing out there? I, I want some market intelligence now, right? What are you seeing with, you know, this industry and a lot of 3PLs, 4PLs? Are you seeing a shift where there's investments being made back into trying to compete with that, you know, consistent is key, right? That consistent one day, two day target. Or are you just kind of seeing where, hey, there's so much business out here, right? There's so many, so much business to be had out here. Our infrastructure is what it is, and customers are okay with that three-day, four-day, five-day experience. What, what, what are you guys hearing? What are you seeing from 
from other players in the space. Dan, you want to take that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Steve, I think that is an awesome question, buddy. And, you know, I think it, it always comes back to like companies looking to where, where's the puck going, right? Where do I have to be thinking about 12, 18, 24 months down the road? Because I think what the pandemic did to a certain extent is people understand there are issues with supply chain. There are issues and you know whether it's available inventory or that red shirt that i want it's just not in stock and i have to wait a couple weeks or you know hey i could place an order but it's going to go on back order i might get it in several weeks you look at some of the the sites my daughters shop on where you know they have to spend you know they have to fill their cart up and spend like 50 dollars. and you know what they're going to get it's really inexpensive product and they're going to get it in three to four weeks it's going to ship directly from asia to our door. So I think it's a mixed bag. And I think people are starting to realize if I could provide a really good experience for my customer and my merchant, and I could elevate the loyalty and the LTV, the long-term value of my customer, several days is okay. But if they want it fast, right? If I need my red shirt tomorrow for an event, I need to have that option to be able to get that. But if I haven't procrastinated, which doesn't happen that often, I'm okay with, you know, three, four, five, six days. So, you know, I think there's a lot of really cool innovation going on in the space today. We see and we work with a lot of companies that are investing in the tech to make those decisions upstream, right? So how do you have the least amount of relevant inventory closest to the customers possible? Because listen, you know, five years ago, seven, eight years ago, five days was the norm. You didn't even have to fulfill fill an order the same day, right? An order could drop into your warehouse and you pick and you picked and packed it the next day and that was okay. And then it was delivered in three to six days. That was the expectation. I think everyone realizes eventually, and I think you said it perfectly, Steve, Amazon does set market trends. So all you have to do is follow. It's just a matter of when will that become the absolute experience that everyone's going to demand. And they're not, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I mean ex- exactly that. Like I'll categorize, right? There's the general merchandising, right? Which is from an Amazon perspective, you're going to see um, if I need something and it's available on Amazon, I want it tomorrow. Then there are the things that are not available on Amazon and I want them, right? Let's talk about apparel to a certain degree, branded apparel. Even within that, now you got the split between two. There are branded apparel companies that have good supply chain systems, processes that are really monitoring cart abandonment, right? You know, a lot of cart abandonment happens as soon as someone gets to the checkout page. I do it all the time. It's just a psychological reaction. Like if it says that my free shipping will be two weeks out, I'm like... Let, let me go find somewhere else, right? Like if they are monitoring that, they know what the consumer expectation is. It's it's about like, you know, how when we launch a website or anything from a marketing perspective, you do A-B testing. What is actually working? You try and figure out at what point do you have the customer be happy with that free option? And to Dan's point, you are always going to need the expedited the next day, et cetera, mm-hmm. because I just want it tomorrow and I'm willing to pay the $35 to get it shipped you know, FedEx Air or whatever. But as far as that free is concerned, it's testing and validating where it makes sense. And if that brand is only available there, I might be okay with a five-day or a six-day delivery. 
four days makes me delighted, but now the cost of shipping is increasing. So watching and monitoring and reacting to that is like kind of the advice to the merchants and truly doing A-B testing to verify that. And then you got the other ones. Um, and I don't know if you're going to erase, erase this out, but the fat, dumb and happy ones, right? There is a shared passion between Steve and I, uh, which is Formula One. And uh, I'm a name and shame in, on this one. And as far as the network is concerned, you got one warehouse in the United Kingdom for a global sport. Everything is shipped out of there. On the website, they'll make the commitment expedited because I wanted it immediately. It's three to four days and it does not. And when I check out, it says it's going to arrive in three weeks. And I'm like, but I just paid for <laughs> three to four days expedited international. What just happened? And they're like, Oh, um, you should have read the terms and condition. It's three to four days after picking complete. Say what? Oh, I'm like, you want me a to read terms and condition as a consumer, <laughs> right? Like, I, I and again, you know, it's the the wildest wildfire sport right now that everyone enjoys watching and everyone's chasing. The Netflix documentary has done it justice, right? So I guess it's, you know, they, they don't need to sell. It just sells, mm-hmm. right? They are merchandise and they got exclusivity to all of these products. But still, from a consumer expectation standpoint, I'm now going on eBay finding stuff. It's 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 better to get it that way and I'll rather pay $10 extra, right? And it's, it's that level of experience where if you are not watching, you are losing cus- consumers, even though your profits are looking really good, there is a lot of wallet share that you are not capturing if you are doing stuff of that nature. The other thing, like in today's day and age, and I, I might digress a little bit, but while I'm talking about it, international shipping, fully loaded cost, guys. Like no consumer likes being surprised while something gets delivered that I need to pay $30 in duties while I bought a $50 t-shirt and I got almost no recourse to argue because I ordered it, it's here, I'm now going to have to pay it. Show me the price. If you had added $20, $30 to the cost of the product, it would have made me happier saying duties paid, right? We are in 2022. But the trending, right? Like, so I'll go back to the subject itself. It's all over the place right now. But it's the smart ones are you know, ensuring that they just don't listen to, you know, talking heads like us that that are going to say, the world wants two days. Mm-hmm. The world does not need two days. For their brand, five days might be okay. It's still okay. And as it evolves and shifts, keep testing, keep validating. Cart abandonment, one of the best, best, best place to validate. Like when you get into the checkout screen, if someone's dropping you off, chances are it's related to the shipping options you have. Verify what works for you and you are going to get a larger wallet share. But yeah, that's, uh, you know, there is no simple answer to that is what I've mm-hmm. found at this point. And it's going to be depending on what you are selling, what the demand happens to be, mm-hmm. how exclusive are you. But if you're general merchandise and that stuff exists on walmart.com, amazon.com, um, any of these sites and marketplaces, that are giving you the next day, two day delivery experiences, consumers will pay a couple extra dollars and get it with that option. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's funny. I saw, I saw the evolution of the B two B space. You know, the speed to customer that evolved a little faster than <clears throat> the e commerce space. You know, like I said, back in 2012, 2013, large enterprise organizations were already trying to solve on speed to customer, right? couple things, you know, enhance work orders per day for their technicians, but also it was part of the RFP process. A lot of their customers were putting in time to repair, time to delivery as part of the RFP process, right? 
So I really saw that evolve a lot faster than the retail space. But now, you know, like we talked about the Amazon effect, retail is just pushing the pedal. And one thing I like about the MFC model, and you guys can appreciate this is, you know, in our smaller centers, it allows a little bit of a more of a boutique feel, right? And, and I, right now, we're handling a lot of various products in the MFCs from, from our large fulfillment center. A lot of apparel, like we did not talked about. But I see the MFCs evolving more into that health and beauty craft beer space, right? Especially we talk about, you know, dense marketplace, people sitting around in, the, in a large city, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, big, big demand, you know, weeknights and weekends where they just want something and they just want it quick. And when I say quick, not, not one day, I see people wanting it within three, four, maybe even two hours, maybe even one hour sometimes, right? So I see that evolution and we're actually, we're testing some things out with some, some various organizations right now that are in that health and beauty, the health and beauty space, as well as that high consumer space um, where that demand is there and we're seeing that. So I see, I see those MFCs playing more, more with those, with those verticals. That's awesome, Steve. And, and I think I just want to kind of maybe connect some of the puzzle pieces that we've been talking about, because I've heard, you know, what I'm hearing is really interesting because I think there's a lot of three PLs out there. We know there's a lot of three PLs out there that specialize in direct to consumer and B2B. Many of them have, you know, one location, a couple locations, or a network of locations across the U.S. And then there's another segment of the 3PL world, which specializes in the micro-fulfillment or the quick commerce spaces you were just talking about, right? I need it in 30 minutes. But what I'm hear, hearing you say, which I think is important for everyone to hear, is you, you've combined both of those the, the best of both worlds where you are you have this Columbus, Ohio facility where I could bring my inventory in and then that's kind of the hub. And then you have all these spokes around the country that you will forward stock with the right inventory uh, based off historical information, based off of, you know, predictive information, uh, future forecasting. So I think that's really unique. Do I have that right? Is that's where you've evolved to listening to your customers? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's that's in our in our our D to C space, right? That's where we kind of leverage our hub and spoke model. But even on our enterprise side, our B two B model, we're not the upstream distribution center. A lot of a lot of our large enterprise organizations either have their own GSL yeah. or their own distribution center, or they outsource it to a large uh, distribution three uh, PL. We just become the spokes, if you will, right? We're we're kind of that node in node for for our enterprise customers, but for our retail customers, our D two C customers, we really are trying to be that holistic network for them, that 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 complete hub and spoke model. I mean, I mean, at this point, right? Like, if you were to get to the port and uh, start taking delivery at port, you would be the the sole network that does pretty much end to end, right? And you know, even taking the returns and do all the processing at that point. So that's pretty phenomenal. The the network you guys are building. I'm excited to see the journey of you know where it ends up going uh, uh, from here. You and I both. Um, you and I both. It's definitely an evolution, right? Yeah. It's 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 always an evolution, but it's an exciting space. It's an exciting time. And, you know, we, we're all encountering some supply chain issues these days, right, uh, post-pandemic. But, you know, we're, we're excited about the future growth of, of our solution for sure. Yeah, there, there is, you know, so many things that we could discuss with you just because, you know, the amount of spaces that you got your, you know, 
fingers in the B2B, the direct to consumer, the micro fulfillment, right? There is the the last mile delivery space. Very specifically, of course, you have figured out the last mile delivery as far as critical inventory is concerned, healthcare is concerned, you know, a, a single delivery for, you know, a part that is required for a surgery for a person that's on the operating table. If the delivery within one hour is going to cost $120, mm-hmm. no big deal, right? Like get it done. But when it comes to e-commerce, right, these, the, these products, how do you see that space kind of evolving? There is a lot of new tech players coming in this space. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not one hour, but it's four hours. It's same day. Mm-hmm. It's a volume problem as well, right? Where do you see this industry kind of going, shifting, shaping up to make these deliveries still, of course, it's not going to be as cheap as, you know, the aggregate delivery volume that you get out of national carriers, but getting it within a reasonable range that it's not major part of the wallet uh, or the or the cart, right? Yeah. Um, how, how do you see it shape up? Yeah, you guys have to tell me if you know anybody in the space. I don't see anybody really doing it well or economically right now. But the way I see the evolution, right, like you said, Anad, that B2B delivery is vastly different economically when it comes to a hip or a medical device that is, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars and has to be there in sixty minutes compared to the shirt, right? Vastly different worlds, the vastly different economics, right? And what's the customer willing to pay for that service? From a retail perspective, I see facilities like ourselves, like our our in-market micro fulfillment centers leveraging gig economy, right? I think the Ubers, the lives of the world. I think if we can tap into that type of ecosystem, the economics would work. Batch delivery, right? Once you have enough volume, same day volume, same day demand, you can get into batch deliveries, right? Where you have certain batch deliveries going out three, four, five times a day based on order time to solve for that same day network. To bring that all together, there's going to be some development. There's going to be some technology that's necessary, right? And that's what's lacking right now. So, you know, we see an evolution within our kind of development strategy to to hopefully solve for that one day. But right now, those are really the only two ways I see from a retail perspective, it being economically sound for that same day delivery capability to actually hit the market consistently. And there is there is something to be said about like aggregating, you know, as I see in the market, there is a lot of players trying to solve for this for their particular problem. You got the convenience stores that are trying to get the 30 minute delivery go in within urban centers you got you know companies trying to solve for uber lyft etc trying to solve for their own problem right or or you know build their own networks you trying to solve for your own problem and there is like no aggregation happening and there is of course there is value proposition and your offering being the one but the volume problem is what makes it cost prohibitive Mm -hmm. so if if I'm doing a delivery every hour within a zip code, I now need enough volume for it to make sense for the six or seven deliveries that I do within that zip code or more, right? Like, sorry, I'm Canadian. So when I think about my postal codes, they are smaller than the US zip codes. It's in essence trying to get that aggregate volume. Environmentally speaking as well, rather than everyone going at it independently there is an opportunity for aggregation yes it's value proposition but no one's gonna get there other than the hyper giants like amazon that have the volume Mm -hmm. if everyone else wants to get there maybe joining hands is what makes sense right and and trying to figure it out and you know just just an opinion it's you know i'd like to get your thoughts on it but from my standpoint it's it's a really difficult challenge to overcome 
if that is going to be the expectation and hopefully people are okay like they don't need their t-shirt within one hour i mean you know plan a little better at least the day before right but <laughs> yeah it, it's it, it's gonna be it's gonna be specific right i mean right now what you see a lot like you talked about it not the convenience stores right the uber eats the i travel a lot we all travel a lot you know i i live on uber eats and you know, a check-in late to a hotel. I, I get my couple bottles of water for the next day and my protein bar and it's delivered in 20 minutes upon check-in and I'm in good shape, right? So I see the evolution right now. It's a lot of, I see a lot of grocery, right? Everything on that Uber Eats that same day, that one hour in market center, it's, it's all it's all around grocery right now, a lot of food. And you're right, I, the apparel business, you know, I could be wrong. I don't know if you'll ever have somebody need it in that hour, <laughs> unless you're really in trouble, right? You spill wine on your nice new white shirt before the <laughs> wedding, right? You only have one. I don't know. Uh, I can't come up with too many scenarios, but I think it's really going to be skew specific on what drives that expectation of one hour, two hour. But I, I you know, I, like I said, I, I go back to health and beauty. I, I see that health and beauty supplements. I think health, right? The, the supplement market. I think that's huge demand. And I know personally, I never order my protein in time. So I go two, three days without it before it gets here, right? I would love to have the opportunity. I'm a procrastinator when it comes to replenishment ordering my protein. I would love to be able to have it here in one hour. I would love it. I would, I would pay for it. I would love it. I know I'm a little strange like that, but I, I really would. I, would I, I would be one of those customers that would pay for that expedited delivery of supplements. I would. So I think it's going to be very specific and there's a lot to solve for yet. It's really an untapped space right now. But, you know, there's there's more and more players coming to the market. But I think that that trans, right, that delivery, that that last touch is what is really the farthest from anybody executing on that just yet economically. Right. So there's a, there's a lot of opportunity there in, the, in that in that last mile delivery space for sure. Yeah, something to wait and watch and see how the industry evolves, right? Just a side note, subscribe and save is an option on Amazon. So you might have more protein shakes in your house than you are going to need. But yeah, you might want to do that, man. I don't run out of protein. Yeah, I know. It's it's a problem. <laughs> it works. I've got six months of uh, razor blades up in my bathroom. So uh, yeah, it. Uh, <laughs> you got to watch that. Exactly. Well, Steve, I think this has been awesome. Absolute awesome time spent. Uh, I'd love to just put a bow on the the gift of knowledge that you've uh, given everyone uh, over the past 40 or 45 minutes. And how do they learn more about Warehouse Anywhere? How could someone find out more about you? How could someone reach out to you? So if you could share that, that would be awesome. Yeah, that's great. Come to warehouseanywhere.com. And, you know, just click out a, uh, you know, read through our, our site, learn more about our specific services and submit a contact form. And myself or one of our sales associates will follow up. And we're excited to uh, reach out to more customers who are in need of uh, in need of our services. That's amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Thank you so much for having me out. Thank like, you, Steve. Like coffee appreciate with you guys it. more often. So uh, invite me back anytime. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good day, everyone. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to maximize your supply chain. Available on all major podcasting channels. Thank you for listening and see you in the next episode.